Okay, so welcome back. Thank you to everyone who's been so supportive, giving me those words of encouragement, asking questions, and just really being supportive of this podcast. <clears throat> I want to thank everybody for that. So, um, two things to say before we get on with this. The first one is if you or someone you know you suspect are a victim of child abuse or um, domestic violence, the National Domestic Violence Hotline phone number will be in the description below. And if you have questions or things that you want to tell me that um, you're not comfortable with other people seeing, on the various sites that these podcasts are post on, posted on, you can send me an email at isurvivechildhood.com, um, at gmail.com. All right, so let's get started. Today, I am, um, oh, one other thing I do want to share with you before we get started is that I am now sharing these podcasts on uh, a YouTube channel. So if you want to see who I am and how I look, which is nothing really I mean I'm just an old lady who's telling her story and trying to get um, other people's stories told maybe somebody who can't um, it's Jenny Azadi on YouTube and so it may seem a little strange to you but yes um, there are two things going on at one time so I'm talking into my phone to do my podcast and I'm looking at my iPad to do my YouTube videos and this is my very first one where I'm sharing this media at the same time so bear with me because it may be a little awkward. I appreciate your patience. Anyway, without further ado, I want to talk about Michelle Knight. Now, Michelle Knight was one of the women who was abducted by Ariel Castro and held as a sex slave in that house in Cleveland that is no longer um, standing. And she was held captive with Amanda Berry and Gina De Jesus, and not to diminish what happened to those two, but to the best of my knowledge, they haven't come out as publicly about the ordeal that they went through. But Michelle, see, Michelle has done um, several things. She's being very vocal about her her life, not just during her captivity, but also before, and how she's become a very a thriving survivor and actually an advocate and that's what I wanted to talk about so um way back even before I did my podcast I had actually listened to her book um it's um from darkness to light I believe is what it's called and she talks about her experience prior to being abducted and of course during the abduction and then afterwards how she got out and how sick she was and um it's the part before her abduction that I, I want to focus on today um, because, um, well, it just seemed like she had a really hard life even before all this stuff with Castro happened to her. So she, she lived in a family. There was like a lot of extended family living together. She talks a lot about cousins and uncles and so on living with her and her having to take care of uh, cousins because the adults for whatever reason she doesn't go into a lot of detail on that but they weren't capable of taking care of the other children so she would she would do that and I believe she had some younger siblings that were twins and some cousins and um, you know she describes her living situation as just being very crowded with all these different people sharing the household and um, 
not even necessarily having a place to sleep or having to share the bed with more than just one other person sometimes, or she would just lay down in a spot that she found, you know, wherever she could get comfortable for the night, things like that. And, um, other things that she described were, um, apparently they, their stove wasn't working at one time and they would use the radiator or a space heater to heat hot dogs. And I think she said it took like four hours to cook a hot dog on the space heater or on the radiator. And same thing with like a can of ravioli that she was trying to make something hot for the younger children to eat. And she would set the can on the radiator to get it hot or the space heater. I'm not sure which it was, but, um, you know, that was, and she's a child while this is going on. She's just a child. So they moved a lot. They didn't stay in one place. They were living in really bad housing situations. And because of the disruptions in her family life, she wasn't going to school very often. And so I believe she was um, 12 years old and she was still in the fifth grade. So she was a lot older. You know, there's a big difference between 10 and 12, especially for a girl. You know, so she was probably already going through puberty where the rest of her classmates really hadn't gotten there yet. And she didn't have good um, resources for her personal hygiene. So, you know, she was getting picked on at school. She wasn't there a lot. Her grades suffered. She was wearing, you know, secondhand clothes that probably weren't clean. She did talk about her own personal hygiene not being what she would have liked it to be and that she probably had a smell and the kids would call her nasty names about that so she was being bullied you know her home life wasn't stable which you know what right there that's something I want to pause and talk about you know a lot of times when we see people that look like um, they don't fit in with the rest of us so they're living a little bit differently in a way that you know maybe would be uncomfortable for most of us it might be uncomfortable for that person too and you know I know we're talking about bullying and it's not really part of, well, I don't know. To me, it kind of stems off of what you learn at home. So, you know, if you see somebody who's unfortunate and maybe they, they don't smell good or, um, they're not dressed as nicely or, you know, they might look like it's been a while since they've had a bath, you know, there might be a reason for it. Um, the things that people go through, we need to be a little bit more compassionate because you don't always know what's going on behind closed doors. Okay. I just wanted to throw that out there and we want to teach our children the same thing, you know, try to be compassionate to others because they may be going through something really hard that you're not aware of. Okay. Just to be a more compassionate society. But anyway, um, you know, she was, she was failing in school, but she did really well in her art class. Um, she, she liked to draw and, and those kind of things. So, after a while, one of the, just a man, I don't know what the relationship to her was. They said a man that was living in her house, so I don't know if it was a family member or just a loafer or what, was living in the house. He began to take advantage of her, and um, I believe she was about, I think she was about 10 or so, you know, and um, 10 or 12, something like that. I don't know. It was pre-puberty. I know that. Um, he started molesting her and, um, she had mentioned something that she was not aware of, um, whether or not she had started to menstruate because she was bleeding all the time because of this abuse that she had, which by the way, Michelle is a tiny little thing. If you ever get to see videos of her or see her on TV or anything like that, because she does make, um, TV appearances on occasion, um, she is, she is tiny, like child size. I'm, I'm not exactly sure how tall she is, but, and I'm not a very tall person, but I can tell 
by the videos that I see I've seen of her she's considerably shorter than not than I am and I'm considered short okay by normal standards so anyway she's a little she's a little person she's not a midget but she's not she's a, a little person um so eventually um she had gotten pregnant she, she had a little boy and um she named him Joey and her little boy ended up in the foster care system because um, from what I got from what she was saying, her father accidentally broke the baby's leg. And so he ended up in foster care. Probably they came to find out how this child at this age broke a leg and saw that the living circumstances were not good. So she was trying to do everything that she could to get her child back. She's like 18 years old, 18, maybe 19 at this point. And she was going to some kind of a meeting with whatever they call Child Protective Services where she lived. She was trying to get there. And, of course, she didn't have a car. You know, she was trying to take a bus and so on and so forth. And she got a little bit lost. So she was looking for help to try to um, to try to find her way, and that's how she met Ariel Castro. And so he said he knew exactly where it was, and um, he did the same thing with all three of these girls. So somehow he was associated with, I want to say her father. I'm not sure if it was exactly her father. I know with um, Gina and with Amanda, it, he definitely knew the the father. So or at least he told him that, and that made the girls feel comfortable enough to go. Um, go with him willingly and he also lied to Michelle and said that um, he had to go to the house to pick up his daughter and that he had to check on these puppies and asked her if that's how she got how he got her in the house he asked her if she wanted to see the puppies and he's like she was thinking yeah you know a puppy would be great for Joey which um, I don't know you know that might not have been a great idea if you haven't gotten your kid back yet you know get the dog later but anyway um, she went in to the house to see the puppies and realize that the daughter wasn't there and there were no puppies and from that point forward she was held captive for about 11 years and eventually um he brought in uh, amanda and gina now the thing that was different from michelle versus the other two girls is the other two girls were minors still michelle is actually legally an adult and even though there was a um, missing persons report done, they basically figured because she was an adult that she had just left. She ran away because she had run away once before. I think when she was 14, she was living in a trash can underneath a bridge um, for a while. But, you know, she already had a history of running away. And so they figured that's what happened. And because she was an adult, she was legal age, you know, they couldn't force her to come back. So they they kind of just stopped looking for her. Um but the other two girls, Amanda and DeJesus, because they were minors, there was a lot more publicity and a lot more things done in the community to try to find these girls. And um, uh, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because uh, Ariel Castro used this information, what he saw on the news regarding the other two girls, against Michelle. Um, so... In her book, she, she goes through the whole process of what, what happened when she was there, how, you know, he did different things, not just sexually abusing her and all the other girls, but um, she had gotten pregnant and he um, forced her to, well, he, he abused her to cause her to, to miscarry the babies. He abused her so badly that she can't have children anymore. Um, and then, you know, how um, when Amanda got pregnant, for whatever reason, he wanted to keep Amanda's baby, and Michelle had to help Amanda deliver the child. And um, 
And she goes on to tell about when when um, Amanda Amanda was the person who actually escaped the house. She escaped the house and ran to a neighbor and told them who she was and you know asked them to call the police. And that's how uh, it was discovered that these three people were living in that house and that they were being used as sex slaves and they were rescued and so on and so forth with the story about Ariel because I don't want to give him too much more attention than really what he needs as far as my telling of this part of the story is concerned. So... When Michelle was rescued, they really, they thought she was going to die. She was so badly abused and so malnourished and just so um, sick from all of her years of being in captivity that um, she went to the hospital and they, they, they thought she was going to die from her mistreatment. But she didn't. She's alive. And which brings me to where I really want to talk about her now. So we know her backstory and we know she's written a book. It's things that she's done since then. So Michelle... Um, went to this just shows the, her her courage and her strength that this woman has and um so she went to the hearing and she gave the victim impact speech and she stood up and faced him and she she you know I've listened to Michelle and I've, I've read her book it was in her words and and um I've seen interviews with her and she said that, you know, they thought she was um, mentally handicapped. And she, I don't think she is. I really don't. When you listen to her and you listen to her reasoning, she, she, her, her language pattern is very simple. She talks just like, you know, a regular person. She, she uses a simple language. She doesn't have, I don't want to say she doesn't have, but she doesn't use a flashy or extensive vocabulary like some people might, like I do on occasion, you know, um, she talks just like a regular person that you would meet in the grocery store if you didn't know who she was. She just sounds like a normal person. I don't think she's um, mentally handicapped at all. I think she was deprived of an opportunity is what I think. Because she, her, she has, and I'm sure she's been through therapy. I hope she has. If she's not, then she's touched by God, let me tell you. Because her mental outlook is so strong and so healthy. Like she said um, to Castro, you are not going to define me. What you did to me is not going to define my life. You know, she believes in herself. She believes in her own strength, which I don't think she got that kind of nurturing at home. Um, And that's one of the messages that she wants to give out to other people is to believe in yourself. Um, And she just... uh, really used what little bit of resources she had throughout her life to try to solve problems. And um, so she wrote the book, and um, she does do some public speaking here and there. She she went to um, the day that they destroyed the house. She was there and um, released some balloons. And um, she also has partnered with a coffee company. I can't remember the name of the company, but they use her artwork and they are supporting um, one of her. Uh, now, see, this is what happens when you get old, you forget things. One of her um, organizations. So basically, what she's an advocate for um, abused women, children, and trafficked people. That's what she's doing. And, and I think that with her because she her whole life has been inclusive you know she was um an an, at least neglected she was sexually abused definitely as a child but she was you know at least neglected by her parents I don't know if she was totally abused by them or not she didn't really go into that part of it 
probably I'm thinking, but she was definitely neglected. Um, she was sexually abused before she ever went into captivity with uh, Ariel Castro. And then the weird thing is, and this is why I, I kind of want to put this in this grouping, even though I hope this doesn't offend anybody because I don't mean for it to be that way. But these three women, even though they were there against their will, um, kind of formed, I, I'm reluctant to say family, but they did form their own little unit. I'll just put it that way. Organized unit between the three women who learned to survive and also support each other. You know, they, at least that's how it sounded to me, um, that they, they did kind of work together. And I don't think Ariel Castro liked that, even though um, at, towards the end anyway, uh, Gina and Michelle were together and Amanda was kind of separated with her child. But, you know, they did work together um, in whatever ways they could to manage to survive. Um, and then she came out of this and is really working very, very hard to um, spread a message, you know, that there is hope. And doing what she can to let people know that it doesn't always have to be... Um, a horrible life you may have had a horrible experience but your life is can still be wonderful and so um she's written another book i can't remember the name of it I'll ha i haven't read it obviously but um i'll have to get into that and she has tattoos all over her now i don't know what they mean but she looks very differently she has a, a piercing on her lip and um she's married she's cut her hair but then i think she's grown it back because this has gone on for a while now you know and i've seen different videos of her at different times i think her hair's actually longer now she seems to have a lot of pets but um i don't know um what her plans are as far as being a parent if she's going to try to adopt or not but she's married and she has changed her name to lily rose lee and so um the lily being you know um a sign of life like the Easter lily and then I can't remember what she said about Rose but Lee is her son's middle name um one other thing you know like this is what I'm talking about this woman's strength and her mental stability like you know she she ended up in captivity while she was trying to get her child back so obviously she didn't make it to the um to this hearing or whatever she was trying to go to so that didn't look good meanwhile she's gone for 10 years so her child was at least 10 or 11 years by the time she came out maybe 12 that's a long time for a child you know um and uh eventually this, his he got adopted because nobody knew where she was and um so she's seen pictures of him the last I heard, I don't know what's changed since, you know, what I I last heard, like maybe if she's met him or not. But she did make a comment that, you know, she didn't want to disrupt his life. Like this woman has a heart of gold. She's not selfish at all. She, she realizes that he's had most of his, well, all of his life, really, up to the day that she came out of captivity. Um, that he didn't know about her. He didn't know why, you know, what happened to her or why he was... I don't even know if he knows that he's been adopted. But she doesn't want to turn his life upside down. So she's basically just waiting patiently for the day to come when he may decide that he wants to see her. She's not going to try to change his, um, his whole family dynamic just because she's out now, you know. And I just... 
that's amazing. You know, like I, some people may not feel that way, the way that she felt, you know, I mean, she just, and she says everything so calmly and rationally. And, um, I just think that she's really, really amazing considering where she came from to where she went to, to where she is now. She's done incredible things and she's made incredible strides. And in the end, I think that she is a great example for the rest of us who've gone through things who maybe aren't really as bad as hers. I mean, I, I don't want to diminish anybody's um, suffering, but when I look at her life versus mine, I mean, I've never been kidnapped. I've never been a sex slave. Um, I have had situations where I didn't feel loved by my parents and I was physically abused. And if you want to know more about my story, you know, you can go back through the archives and to the first episodes of the podcast and you can hear that. But, um, you know, I'm, I just think she's amazing. And I think she's an example for the rest of us who are trying to work our way through things. And that's why I, I wanted to bring her up and, just let, if she ever gets to hear this, just let her know that I really admire her and I think she's a special lady and um, I recommend reading her book. I'm going to look and see if I can find a link on Amazon and I'll put that in the descriptions below in the video and in the podcast. And um, that's pretty much all I have to say about her. Like I said, I think she's incredible. And uh, I, of course, want to thank everybody for watching and listening. And um, if you want to hear more on the, about this on the YouTube channel, then go ahead and hit the subscribe button. I've got more to say. Thank you so much. You guys stay safe. Bye-bye.